You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, good morning and happy Resurrection Day to all of you. We are so glad that you've joined us on a special day. What you've just seen is a lot of the faces that are part of our North Richland Hills Church family, our choir ministry, and it was fantastic to see them, wasn't it? That's so cool. I'd been waiting all week for them to call me, and I guess they just lost my number. Now, most Sundays, most Sundays, I'm just in this coronavirus looking at a camera, but this Sunday's a little different. I got a surprise as I came in later this week because I got to see so many of the faces plastered across our pews here at the North Richland Hills campus. How exciting that is. What a welcome sight. We are grateful to have you joining with us as well. Now, many of you are new. You're new to our church. You're tuning in to Cross Church in North Richland Hills Baptist. We're in the Mid-Cities, North Fort Worth area. My name is Scott Mays, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor. At the end of today's message, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to an invitation that God planned eons ago. And we invite you in a moment. You're going to be asked to type just one letter into that chat, whether it's on Facebook Live or live stream. And again, we're glad to have you joining with us. Perhaps some of you are on a Facebook watch party. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So many of us need hope right now. Isn't that the truth? Many of us have been furloughed. Many of you have uh, struggled economically. You've either been laid off or you've lost jobs. Some within our midst are struggling for the literal very next breath to breathe. And so we need God's help, and we need hope. And the message of Easter comes at a perfect time. It's as if somebody planned this, because the message of Easter is this. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and if you follow Jesus Christ, you too will rise from the dead one day. This is our bedrock, eternal hope. And so today, we invite you to join in that and to feel the hope, the celebration, the collective hope around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you've got a Bible, allow me to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 23, the third gospel inside the New Testament. And perhaps you have the Bible app on your phone or device. I invite you to tune tune in there. In fact, you can find notes for today's uh, message and our service By looking up our church name or zip code, we invite you to go there. Again, we're so glad to have you joining with us today. Let me set the scene for what we're about to read. Had you entered into the ancient city of Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago, on the north end of town, you would have seen a rocky outcropping. And there, on that rocky outcropping, you would have seen three men nailed to three different crosses as if scarecrows dotted against the, the daytime sky. And upon the cross to your left, when you looked with closer examination, you would see what is a thief. If you looked closer at the cross on the far right, you would have seen another thief. But had you taken time to look at the cross in the middle, there you would see the eternal Son of God. And there, my friend, is the epicenter of hope. All our hope is found in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Here is where we find the last of Jesus' amen statements. Only this time, the amen came from his last breaths 
to another man who was dying. In Luke chapter 23, begin reading with me in verse 32, where the Bible says two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, to him is Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots, the Roman soldiers that is, cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? since you're under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus did, truly I say to you, there's our amen statement. Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me, you'll be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour or our noon and there was a darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, 3 p.m., while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice, saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw that he had taken what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breast, and all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. May God bless the reading of his word. Tucked away in the middle of the narrative, as if the camera's gaze focuses on those who react to the crucifixion of Jesus. Luke calls it a spectacle. For the next few moments, I want to focus each in turn on each of the three men, beginning with the thief that we call the impenitent thief. Look with me at what is the cold-hearted, callous, a man who is cold. In fact, the impenitent thief, you could call him the cold-hearted thief if you'd like. For in verse 39, we read these words. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? save yourself. That may not read immediately like a prayer, but it's a prayer that all of us have prayed at one time or another. Every one of us, whether we've been inside a church building, whether religion we adhere to, all of us at one time or another have prayed this kind of prayer. God, if you're real, would you help me? God, if you are real, would you rescue me? If you are God, the thief said to the man in the middle, if you're God, would you save yourself and then save us? Haven't you prayed that sometime or another? Lord, if you're up there, would you save me? Now, here's the difficulty with this first thief, this impenitent thief. The difficulty is he's essentially sort of challenging a prayer. He says, 
Here's how I know that if you're God, if you do what I want you to do, here's how you can prove to me that you are the Son of God, the Christ, if you do what I want you to do. Friend, that's not a real test, is it? In fact, the only way this thief would have known that the Son of God was real is if the Son of God had agreed with the thief. This isn't a real test. This man didn't want God. He wanted a genie in a bottle. He wanted a personal assistant with divine powers. I want you to note before we leave this first thief, this impendent thief, that the Son of God did not say one word to this man. Not one word was uttered from the lips of Jesus to this man. In fact, scour all four Gospels and you'll not find one word that Jesus uttered to anyone who mocked him that day. The first thief is the impenitent thief. But turn your attention, if you will, to the second of the three men. That is what we call today the penitent thief. The penitent thief. While the first man was cold and callous, this man is contrite. He's chastened. But I want you to be aware that he is not so sympathetic to Jesus at the beginning. In fact, the Bible tells us that he changed his opinion concerning Jesus over the six hours the two men were on their respective crosses. In fact, you'll find it recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled Jesus the same way. So at the beginning, both thieves, Jesus got a stereo criticism from both left and right, both dying thieves while suffocating, that's the medical explanation of crucifixion, both dying thieves while suffocating found the air necessary to criticize the Son of God. But somewhere in the midst, somewhere in the midst of all his pain and agony, the penitent thief changed his opinion about Jesus. Now we're not told why, we're not given the exact evidence, I think perhaps, if I were to speculate, it could be at the location where Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I had a feeling at that moment that this dying thief had a second evaluation concerning Jesus. In fact, look what he says to the other thief in verse 41 of Luke 23. He said, we are suffering justly. We are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But look what he says of Jesus. But this man has done nothing wrong. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how he came to that conclusion. Did he have a conversation with Jesus a year before? Did the two men interact on their way to Calvary? We're not told. But somehow, some way, this penitent thief came to the conclusion that Jesus was sinless. Friend, that's a conclusion you need to come to as well. I want you to note something else about this dying thief. He believed in Jesus despite the mob. Now, find this. Even a dead fish can go with the flow, right? I mean, you can wear parachute pants in the 80s and wear bell bottoms in the 70s, but very few of us do it in another decade other than those. What's my point? My point is, this man's faith in Jesus was so remarkable, he went against the scorn and the ridicule of everyone else there. May I say to you and suggest to you that this is maybe the only man on the face of the earth who was willing to crown Jesus king at this moment. He was the only one willing to put the crown on Jesus' head at that moment. He believed, despite the widespread criticism of everyone around him. And note this about this dying thief. He was punished for his sins. 
Had I had the privilege of having this man stand next to me or sit next to me on this Easter Sunday morning, if I could give him a microphone to have him speak to you in your homes, he would probably say something to this effect. He would say, I'm a man who disappointed my mother. I've disappointed my father. My siblings don't speak to me. I'm a miserable wretch of a thief of a person. And all this is true about this man. Here's something fundamental that this dying thief has, and it's an advantage over a lot of us who are tuning in today. He knew that his personal sin brought him punishment. Again, he says, we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. Verse 41. Many of you today, you go to God saying, God, you owe me this. When you and I should be saying, God, I owe you everything. Mark this about our friend, the dying thief. Here is a man who knew what he got was coming to him. Now, we're going to see a statement from Jesus is really remarkable. This man's going to be helped. That's what we need today. We need help and we need hope. And this man's going to be helped. I want you to notice something. This man, he was saved, but he didn't have the opportunity to give anything. He didn't have the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, to be baptized, to attend church. He didn't get to walk the aisle. He didn't get to listen to a sermon, teach a Bible study, take care of anyone in need. None of those actions were done by our friend, not one of them. In fact, all he did was pray a feeble prayer recorded in verse 42 at the end of it. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all that he prayed. He had such confidence at the beginning, maybe 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, he was joining with a ridicule, but somewhere over the hours, his confidence in the Son of God grew that he trusted all of his afterlife, his second life, to the mere memory of Jesus Christ. I would hope that all of us would have that kind of confidence. The penitent thief. Here, lastly, I want you to see what I'm calling the sinner's Savior. In verse 43, we hear one of the last recorded words of Jesus. Over the past several weeks, we've been looking at the amen statements. And here is the last of the amens. Amen, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Let's just take that statement apart word by word, can we? I love that little word today. Jesus did not say to this man, hey, in about a millennium or two, I'm going to bring you into paradise. <laughs> no purgatory, no soul sleep, simply as later a man named the Apostle Paul would write it this way, absent from the body, present with Jesus. Meaning at the moment this man would breathe his last, he was uttered into the foyer of heaven. You who are truly Jesus Christ today, here is your bedrock eternal hope. When Jesus Christ rises from the grave, he will bring up with him every one of his followers. That is the power of God. On that day, Jesus says, my voice will rise and raise everyone who believes. There's no soul sleep for generations to come. There's no purgatory. Jesus said to this dying thief, amen, count on it today. I love those words. Notice the second little phrase he uses right there at the end of verse 43. He says, with me, with me. Jesus, wherever he is, is heaven. 
Earlier, he would record these words, I am the door, the true door. He didn't say, I am a door, I am the door. Those little words right there in the middle of verse 43, with me, there's no other need to add another word, is there? For wherever the presence of Jesus is, that's where heaven is. Jesus' home is heaven. Here's the next word I want you to just focus in on this amen statement in verse 43. And that's that word at the beginning. Your translation may say amen or truly or verily, but it's the word where Jesus would say amen. And when he says it, everything should come to a stop. All of life can be hung on the weight of his words. He is giving us his solemn promise. God is so great, he doesn't need to put his hand on the Bible and say, I testify to these words of the true, nothing but the truth, so help me myself. <laughs> Instead, he says, amen. And that word amen is an assurance to you and me. The FDIC could not add anything else. He doesn't need a bailout. He doesn't need the CARES Act. All he needs is himself. Amen. I'm telling you the truth. I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. I will make this happen. Now think about this here at the conclusion of this message. The first person, the first person that walked through heaven's doors after the death of Jesus and his resurrection wasn't an apostle, wasn't a patriarch, wasn't some age great soul from the pages of the Old Testament, perhaps, or even a martyr. It wasn't Peter, wasn't Abraham or King David, or even the mother of our Lord and Savior, Mary herself. Instead, the dying thief came in a few hours, evidently, after Jesus. And Jesus walked into the foyer of heaven with a freshly pardoned felon and had his hand around him. Isn't that remarkable? You know, the Bible says before this occasion that Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. He ate with sinners. He touched sinners. He called sinners to come close to him. He was a friend of sinners, but who knew that he would even die with sinners? I wonder if everyone assembled in the grand staircase of heaven. I wonder if all the angels and all those who were gathered there Welcome, Jesus. Whenever he walked in, I couldn't tell you what all happened between Friday and Sunday. But I do know that he entered into heaven's gates, Jesus did. And alongside him came a common criminal, a felon, a man that had not made his mother or father or anyone else proud in this earth. And Jesus brought him in as a sample. He said, hey, guys, good to be back perhaps, but I brought this sinner in, this pardoned sinner with me, He's a sample of so many more to come. He is a sinner, watch this, a sinner saved by grace. The dying thief didn't come in the back door, a side door. He came in the front door. He didn't have time to build a great resume to put in front of heaven's representatives, the bouncers of heaven to say, hey, do I get in? He came through the one door available, the door that I pray that you will come through and I will come through. He came through the door of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.